It's 216 days to Election Day, and we're still in our isolated COVID-19 blanket fort. Robin interviews activist Daryl Lamont Jenkins about his experiences fighting neo-Nazis. All this and more on The Let's Game. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Mary McGinley. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. And we're going to start you out with three random facts and the news. So, uh, hello, everybody. Happy April Fool's Day. And although uh, I know it's not such a happy day for Wendy. (laughs) It's a big joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This whole thing is a big right. joke. <laughs> so, uh, you know, April Fool's Day is also called All Fool's Day by some people. And it's been celebrated for several centuries, I guess, by different cultures. But no one really knows exactly how it came about. Some historians speculate that April Fool's Day dates back to 1582, when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar, as called for by the Council of Trent in 1563. So the idea is that people who were slow to get the news or failed to recognize that the start of the new year had moved to January 1st and continued to celebrate it during the last week of March through April 1st became the butt of jokes and hoaxes. <laughs> so, so the pranks included having a paper fish placed on their backs and they were being referred to as, I'm not going to try to pronounce the French, but they were uh, ref- Poisson d'Avril. Okay. <laughs> that. <laughs> I took French in high school. <laughs> uh, they were referred to as April fish, which which meant that, you know, you were a young and easily caught fish or a gullible person. So that's one version of how April Fool's Day came to be. Like other people uh, speculate that it comes from various like spring pagan festivals um, from different different cultures, but no one's exactly sure. So if you want to know more, you can look at history.com and look up April Fool's Day. So. I'm going to jump in, though, because uh, I'm I'm more in believing that it has to do with the pagan holidays rather than the difference between the Gregorian calendar and the Julian calendar, because Shakespeare died the same day on the calendar as Cervantes. And yet they died 10 days apart because Europe was on one calendar and England was on the other calendar. And so. How could April, the New Year's be so different, January and March, mm. in the two calendars? You know, so well. April is is the New Year, the astrological New Year. Yeah. So what does that have to do with the Gregorian calendar? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just. I mean, I don't know why you would celebrate the New Year in at the end of March, beginning of April, anyway, unless you're doing when the sun moves into Aries, yeah, yeah, you know? which is more pagan. And Gre- Gregorian is named after a pope, and Julian is named after uh, no, that's Caesar. Caesar. Yeah, so hmm. one one of them is Catholic. Yeah, that's my two wow. cents. Okay, go to another okay. fact. <laughs> <laughs> Back number two is April 2nd is National Ferret Day. Ah. And 
I like ferrets. I used to have three of them. I had a small business oh. of ferrets. That's what a group of ferrets is a called business? a business. Oh, wow. I know um, someone who has oh, five yes. in a business of ferrets. I believe they has five. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of ferrets. Yeah, <laughs> I had I had this one ferret who was a dark eyed white ferret, which a lot of the weird when they when they breed them to be a specific color to have certain markings, they in later life end up getting issues. And this little guy went deaf. But I think the first day I got him, he bit through my finger. Ouch. So I renamed I renamed him Bite Waldy. <laughs> oh wow! After after the simpsons episode with the the monorail because he because there was a raccoon living inside of like the glove compartment and homer goes i named the big one bitey so so we called her him bitey and and we you name the ferret bitey and they go well does he bite say well yeah that's (laughs) so don't stick your finger at him (laughs) that's one of my favorites Uh, so. so fact three is the results of the census determine the number of seats each state will have in the U.S. House of Representatives, and they are used, the the facts of the census, the the results, are used to uh, draw congressional and state legislative districts. And I know that's a random fact. I just threw that in there because when everybody's sitting at home wondering what to do with themselves, they can fill out their censuses. Yes, they have to pick up their letter first. And I don't know if you get a, I did it already. And it was, I got the short, they didn't ask me a lot of questions, which made me sad. I like to fill out the census <laughs> forms. I've always enjoyed I, I do. I like the, the number two pencil in the circles. I like that. But this was, we got a letter with a code in it and you go to the website and you've put your code in and it already knows who you are and where you live, which is only slightly creepy. And then you, you know, fill out all the things. And I don't know if we mentioned this in the last show, but they give you now when they they ask, you know, the race question, they give you an option of of checking off multiple boxes. So if you are multi bi or multiracial, you can check off all of the, the things that make you up, mm-hmm. which is nice. I think I did that last uh, Jewish time, wasn't a race. <laughs> Jewish wasn't a race. I was appreciative of Good. that. <laughs> Although it did confuse me of uh, like, what do I say? But uh, and then it was like, you know, how many people live there and what their ages were. And that was pretty much it. You know, it was like eight questions. It's very fast. So do it. I mean, it's it's you know, it's really important. And do it now before (laughs) before COVID kills three million of us. Sorry. I, yeah, somebody, yeah. I, I saw somebody mentioning saying, uh, why should we fill out the census now? Why shouldn't we wait until uh, whatever COVID does to us uh, is done with us? And I'm thinking, well, you want to know. Each state wants to have the largest population possible so that they will get they the can, most representation you know, that's what our their is. seats in the House. They'll get more money from the federal government, you know, all that stuff. And uh, I guess uh, we're up to all of the news that we can handle today now. Yeah, it sounds like it. That was all the facts I can handle. (laughs) (laughs) Anything happening in this country? No. No, we're all staying home watching 
tiger whatever the oh hell my that God, is. I have to I have to understand what that's about. Everyone was talking about it. <laughs> I my daughter is trying to get me to to watch it and what I is am it? not it's a show on Netflix tiger about King. people who own large cats and apparently it there's it, it's it's another true crime show reality show and i'm not into those yeah, I'm not either. um but apparently there's there's a, a gay people and polyamorous people and there's murder like there's a guy there's a woman whose husband disappeared and everybody who watches the show thinks that she's killed him and fed him to one of her tigers and it it's and meth and all kinds of crazy shit happening i don't know and i haven't watched this is just me reading everybody else's comments about it online yeah and it's none of none of the stuff i'm reading is like is like telling me that is telling me that this is something that i would want to watch at all you know because it's like if they're if they're not taking really good care of their tigers i'm going to be sad and <laughs> And if they're real assholes, which apparently everybody on that show is a real asshole, I'm not into watching assholes. That's why I don't watch the president when he comes on TV. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. You know. And and the flaw in that theory is that the tiger would eat the meat, but not the bones, right? So the bones I don't know. would still be there and would be evident. No. I don't know. I don't we'll know. We'll find out I, from Facebook. Everyone will talk about it. So we'll. That's what, well, yeah. Eventually, so I don't we'll feel the it. need. Although I do know, understand why now everybody's using this one guy's name for some, you know, as as an example of something not to do. But what's know. his name? I I don't remember oh. now. <laughs> not everyone is doing it. And I and I don't know that I'm going to watch it. I'm going to have to, you know, there has to be. I have to be really, really tired of watching su stuff with subtitles. Um, I'm I'm basically plowing through every freaking anime series that is on any streaming set. <laughs> I'll be good for a while. <laughs> I think I'll learn. I think I'll be able to speak Japanese by the end of this. So what's, what else is in the news? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even news. This is just random crap. <laughs> Three random facts in the news and some random crap. <laughs> People are now printing. They're using their 3D printers to make re uh, respirators and that's cool. uh, in italy is yeah. it working i don't know i mean they look like they would work and i mean there's i'm looking at the article i'm seeing pictures of respirator parts but i know i know that in the united states people are using their 3d printers to print the the head pieces and the chin pieces of the uh the face shields that healthcare workers are using and then they use like a clear plastic from their cry cut stuff or whatever you know so they're making they're making uh ppe which is personal protective equipment that's a three-letter acronym yeah. that i do yeah have, so. so who are these people who are making this this is people who have access to 3d printers in their homes or something or offices. wherever you know I guess. I don't know. I don't have one. I know there are a lot of people that have them in their homes. There's maker spaces scattered throughout the country and at universities, you know, they usually will have that kind of stuff available. I have been busy sewing, you know, fabric masks, which I do now, which is, seems to be my life at this point. It's like if you do something for more than a week, it turns into your life, <laughs> which I guess we'll talk about more later yeah. in our in our blanket fort segment yeah. of how we're dealing with this crap. 
Well, that's cool that they're um, doing that. I yeah, just, yeah. I guess I just wanted to know whether it was working and, and how it was helping. Well, it's helping because, well, it's helping because it's, it's a way to get, you know, the man, the big manufacturers are still ramping up and people need this stuff now. And it's a way to get stuff out into the world. Sadly, we shouldn't have to be doing this, but if we do have to, it's nice to know that, that there are places that are doing this. Yes. That's good news. Absolutely. I like hearing good news. <laughs> well, my news is it's more of a PSA than news, but um, I was watching, <laughs> uh, just sort of following Twitter, and the hashtag COVIDiot has shown up, and that is mostly relating to Donald Trump, but anybody who's <laughs> anybody who's doing something really really dumb uh in response to or about the covid-19 uh pandemic and so i just saw this collection of like so many crazy theories and just not useful things to be doing so i just wanted to say like please avoid covidiacy so you know covid-19 is caused by a virus coronavirus and it's not caused by 5G, and it's not caused by chemtrails. So <laughs> anything you read about that, just, just you know, let it go. It can't be cured by sitting in a sauna, unfortunately, as much as I like saunas. And it definitely can't be cured by blow drying your nose, <laughs> which is what I saw that supposedly, like, the, it, it dies in a certain amount of heat. So if you take a blow dryer and put it on its hottest setting and like blow it into your nose like that's supposed to do something like don't that's yeah, not you have enough. to blow it into your you have to blow it into your lungs right or in every and then cell and, that, and it will yeah. and you'll burn your yeah, lungs yeah there are just problems just don't just don't please don't blame or harm asian people I, hopefully anyone listening to us is not in that camp that would ever do such a thing but come on you know do not go to a coronavirus party I know that two of them were broken up in New Jersey in the last uh, couple of days or week uh, or something. And a couple of weddings, too. Yeah. Yeah. Weddings, I mean, I guess people feel like the show must go on or something. But a coronavirus party is just like specifically defying Stupid. the fact that we need to not be, you know, congregating right now. And it's just just dumb. Don't. Um, and you don't need to crowd the churches on Easter Sunday, I think. Uh, Trump actually rolled back that idea at this point, so that's good. Yeah, we're supposed to be the latest. The latest I heard is we're we're at home till the end of April, yeah, yeah. April thirtieth, and and who knows if that's going to get extended longer or yeah, not. We'll see, we'll see. But we've got to take care of ourselves and each other. So another way to do that is please don't eat fish tank chemical that has <sighs> anything similar to a drug that someone mentioned might help coronavirus by someone fact, you mean well yes but other people have said that you know there, there might be research happening about any particular drug or chemical that doesn't mean if you see that word in another product like you should just eat that thing in fact don't ever eat fish tank chemicals that's just don't ever eat anything that's not food labeled as actual food or actual medicine because if it isn't they that trust me the company has put something else in it that will kill you it's like drinking rubbing alcohol. Yeah, that's not a good You know, plan. it's alcohol, but it's not the kind of alcohol you 
actually yeah, methanol not good um, yeah methanol is not or isopropyl or any alcohol okay yes, yes. <laughs> do not take health advice from anyone who also believes that hiv is not the cause of aids i was <laughs> looking at there was a, a doctor that someone mentioned like well, it was actually on my facebook feed and they were talking to a friend they're like oh check out doctor so-and-so and i started looking into what this guy had said and you know he might have some herbal remedies that may be useful or something but then i started reading more deeply into the other weird thoughts he believed and if you're like an aids denier like sorry dude no <laughs> um, <laughs> so don't be so anti-socialist as to believe the government shouldn't help people you know there are times when the government and the taxes we pay are there to help people you know and th and that this we shouldn't help time. each other it's time to help each other this is actually the time and if you're helping other people do it from six feet yes away. do it responsibly please and by the same token don't be so anti-authoritarian as to believe that no one can tell you what to do you know to be like well the government's trying to tell me to stay inside and they're not the boss of me so fuck them there's a reason right now <laughs> you know there's a reason so stay the fuck inside is good advice right now it's good fucking. It's advice. good fucking advice. That's right. <laughs> and also, you're not immune because of your spiritual beliefs or practices. Sadly, whether you are deeply Christian or deeply pagan or whatever it is, I mean, I think it's we can make meaning out of these things, and we can prayer and meditation are are useful and helpful to people in whatever ways. But it's not. It doesn't stop biology. So. Please be aware of that. <laughs> so that's the end of my uh, COVID easy speech. I have been uh, looking around. Uh, the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security is keeping a website of COVID-19 rumor control and disinformation. And we'll post the link on our webpage for this, po for this uh, episode. Uh, it hasn't been updated in a few days. And honestly, the one meme they debunked, if you really think that's a real meme, there's probably you need to rethink a lot of your <laughs> what you see online because it was pretty obvious that it wasn't really from the CDC because it was a meme that said, if you're sick, go out to church, go out to not church, but to mosques and and temples and ride a lot of public transportation. Yeah, that's so, awful. I know. It was actually, you know, it was like the opposite of what the CDC says. And it just had the CDC logo on it. So, oh, obviously that's official. So, yeah. <sighs> and check Snopes. Snopes is good. Yeah, it is a lot of news. And that's it. <laughs> so coming up later in this show is my interview with Daryl Lamont Jenkins. He is someone I've known for a long time, and it's been great to catch up with him and hear about everything he's doing. He is the founder of the One People's Project, which is based in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And that organization monitors and publishes information about far-right groups and individuals. Its motto is, hate has consequences. And uh, he's doing a lot of good work that um, a lot of people would be scared to do. So it's, it was great to hear from him. Coming up soon. Hello. We want to thank you so much for listening to The Leftscape and for being someone out in the world thinking about, talking about, and crafting the shape of progressive conversation. We love creating this show for you, and we hope you find value in the discussions we bring to the table. If you do, please take a moment right now 
go to your Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you can, make it five stars. Good reviews really help us reach more people engaged in politics and culture like you. Thanks so much for helping us get the word out about the Leftscape. This is Julio Cortez, health and happiness coach, here to serve you. And now, the Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I am here with Daryl Lamont Jenkins. Daryl is the founder of One People's Project, which is based in New Brunswick, New Jersey. And uh, this organization monitors and publishes information about far-right groups and individuals. Its motto is, hate has consequences. So thank you so much for uh, talking with me. Happy to be here. Happy to see you after 800 years. I was going to uh, say, we, we go back far enough that you, you reminded me that this is actually a role reversal, that you interviewed me <laughs> a long time ago. I won't say what year, but... <laughs> uh, uh, you're afraid to say, yeah, I, 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 I would respect that. But, but yeah, back in the day when I had a public access show, um, I used to have a show that just uh, spotlighted, you know... Bands and such here in the good old city of New Brunswick. Um, back when New Brunswick had bands, yeah. um, I'm sure New Brunswick still has bands, but but um, but you came to my house and you and I videotaped you to put you on TV. That is so funny. I'd I'd forgotten all about that, and it was just really cool to be reminded. Uh, I'll find I'll find it to put it on YouTube. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I, I, you know, just because I know you mostly from you know person about town, as I was saying, mm-hmm. and. Um, and from you know being around the music business and that sort of thing. So ha- tell me about how you found your path to activism. Well, well, let's just make it clear: it wasn't music business because none of us were making any money. But uh, <laughs> so I would just say the music scene. Okay, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but but how I got myself started in all of this? I mean, I would guess I would say that I was in. Um, um, you know, I was a kid when I re- when I got started. I mean, I was always curious in what kind of um, elements were out there that were trying to still do us harm. Remember, I was born in 1968. I was born a few months after Martin Luther King was murdered. Mm. So, you know, me growing up in Somerset nearby, I never really saw the kind of hatred or the kind of racism. At least I never noticed it. I, I, when you're like 10 or 11 years old, you don't notice it, Shaisa. And... Uh, <laughs> And I was always curious about, you know, whatever happened to the Klan, whatever happened to, you know, um, some of the hateful people that were trying to keep us from, you know, achieving our civil rights. My father and my mother, they basically just had us, you know, learn the history of our people and the struggles that we had gone through in this country and in this society and, they were a part of it in many respects because, you know, they were children of the 60s or rather adults in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they wanted us to make sure, want to make sure that me and my brother and sisters um, knew what was going on. Okay, so I took that and ran with it. I was like, okay, okay let's find out what um, where everybody is. And then you will read about the Ku Klux Klan in those little newspapers, the little weekly readers that you would get in school. Mm. And... 
I was like, okay, so they still exist. I'm, we're going to have to keep an eye on them and all this and everything. That sounds like a pretty progressive school that would no, keep you aware was, of no, that. No, it was straight up public school. I mean, okay. the weekly readers, you know, it was just straight, standard mainstream fare. It was no big deal back then. I mean, in the 70s, no one was um, saying we got to keep this away from our kids because, you know, it was still raw and fresh enough for a lot of people that it was, you know, Basically, the day's news, okay. you know. So it ends up in our um, it ends up in our little papers, and so I got curious about it, and and that curiosity just continued on as I became a high school kid, and as I went into the Air Force, and then I started watching Oprah Winfrey, you know, back when she was still in Chicago, even, mm-hmm. and Chicago had one of the first hate groups, one of the first neo-Nazi um, crews that was calling themselves skinheads. And um, even though, if you know anything about the history, i got to preface it with this, if you know anything about skinhead culture, then you know that um, they are not considered um, skinheads, even though they would call themselves that. You know, so she, Yeah, I know a lot of positive skinheads yeah, that have nothing yeah. to do with what came with the racist a- aspect later. Well, sure. it's funny because now you're talking about 1986, 1987. Right. And back then I was just, I mean, one thing I was hearing about the Klan, I also started realizing just how bad the Nazis were. I mean, all of this is mm-hmm. new. I'm all of this I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And that even the Nazis are still in existence. And then along comes um, this new crew called the Skinheads. And I was like, okay, what's all this? And then one day I was coming home from um, work while I was in the Air Force, and I turned on Oprah Winfrey, and she's fighting with skinheads, wow. or what she was calling skinheads. Mm-hmm. And they, um, and then you saw I saw people like Tom Mesker, who I was already familiar with as being um, a guy who ran the Klan. He was on the show. His son John was on the show. Um, a few other people who I didn't know at the time, you know. So it was like okay. So they're, they're still getting a little busy. Let me just keep an eye on these clowns. Mm-hmm. So I just started from then on. I just started, you know, whenever I would see them on a talk show or something like that, I would record it. I would start recording um, with my VCR and um, just dubbing the uh, video, or dubbing the TV show. Some of those tapes I still have today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a couple of months before Geraldo's um, show where he got his nose broke came into um, being... That was just a couple of months before that. And that became yet another show I started watching. And another, um, and more and more, more and more information for me started to get compiled by me doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then came talk radio. And Rush Limbaugh and Bob Grant. And then you start noticing that um, the things that you heard the Nazis say or the clans say on some of these talk shows or some of these um, documentaries about them, they were saying. Mm. They were making, um, and they were attacking um, the same people that the white supremacists were attacking. And you go, okay, yeah, here is where they're starting to be a little bit of blurring of the lines. So I started following that. And I started following a lot of the right wing because I knew that if there was any kind of connection between that what was supposed to be a fringe element on the right, um, you would start seeing it via the talk radio and even the New York Post. I got a whole file of stuff from the New York Post from back in the day where they were actually 
um, publishing folks who we now know as to be white supremacists. Mm. So a lot. So I've been building up all this information for years. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even go to my first um, anti-Nazi rally or counter rally until eighty. I'm, I'm sorry, until ninety two. Okay. I'm um, 92 and 93, and that was in New Hope of all places, and New Hope, Pennsylvania. I think um, I remember that. I remember that incident. Yeah. I, I wasn't in attendance at it, but so tell me a little bit about your method. I know that you document what's happening, mm-hmm. and you also confront people directly. Well, here's the deal. What do you do? I'm a reporter. That's my vocation, and I have always, I mean, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. That's what I always say. Mm-hmm. And it, the, that pen has always been a very useful sword. Yeah. So it was um, doing that research and everything, you pretty much learned what it is you need to um, look for. You also was trying to figure out how to explain what you were looking at to some uh, to the folks who don't realize that that's what we see. So my mission was to basically explain all of that. And when 2000 came along and we started One People's Project, it was in the midst of a white supremacist rally that was taking place in Morristown, New Jersey. Um, we needed people to understand why we was coming out there. And afterwards, we just kept the momentum going and saying, you know what, we're going to just report on these people as they do their thing. Um, you know, you had groups like the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center and um, Anti-Racist Action out there. I think um, what was important about when we came into the scene was that the Internet was still relatively new. And that meant websites were new. And um, we saw the Internet as an opportunity for us to get our message out to millions, mm-hmm. to millions, to people to see exactly what it is we see. And um, that's why it worked. We were one of the first people to do that. Beautiful. So you were in Charlottesville, is that right? Mm-hmm. Very yes, cool. I was, and I apologize for that one. But, <laughs> <laughs> that's a water bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> louder than <clears throat> one would expect. Yeah, I'm trying to keep from coughing because I have this persistent cough that I've had since September. Um, and don't worry, it's not Corona. No worries. No, but but um, yeah, I was in Charlottesville. Um, we kind of knew at the time what Charlottesville was going to do. We 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 actually had a podcast. Me and my crew um, had a podcast just like two days before, saying, "Hey, look, um, this is going to probably be their ultimate." The, as in, when I say them, um, the white supremacists, the ones that were calling themselves the alt right at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a lot, nice little run for a good two years in the mainstream at that point, maybe a good year or so in the mainstream. And uh, that was going to be when things would start falling apart because we knew that things were going to pop off. Mm. And what gave you that idea? Um, a lot of um, tensions rising, but most importantly, on both sides were rising. We knew that we had to do something because they were, in fact, attacking people. Um, the alt-right, so-called alt-right, was attacking people at the time. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and we knew that they were just getting... Um, it was basically bubbling over. And the most important thing that made us realize that was the fact that everybody on the right, everybody that was coming to that event, 
um, on the white supremacist side, were talking about going there and beating everybody up and attacking everybody. And uh, you saw all the chats that were um, being um, that were out there prior to, and you said, you know what, this is going to get hotter and hotter. And you saw us saying, yo, we have got to go to Charlottesville and we got to protect that town from the crap that they're about to do to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we knew things were going to boil over and blow up. Um, and in fact, uh, I was working on a documentary at the time, and and the documentary was supposed to be about Trump's first year. They were done with the documentary. They were done with um, all the filming that they wanted to do. And I told them, if you still wanted to get more footage for it before you put it out, we're going to be going to be we're going to be in Charlottesville. It's going to be really big. This is their third rally in a row at uh, in in the town, and you might get some good footage that you would want to use. And things popped off to a point where it ended up changing everything about the documentary. It was no longer about Trump's first year. It ended up becoming um, more about the um, fight that we had out in those streets, and that's alt right age of rage. And um, you can currently see that on Netflix and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, but it tells you, Trump, a documentary that was supposed to be about Donald Trump, ended up being about rather how we approached Donald Trump in his first year. Ended up having Trump in it for maybe um, a total of ten minutes. Wow. It was more about what we was out there doing, what we, how we was responding to each other, as opposed to how we was responding to Trump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what what are some of the things that happened there in Charlottesville that you experienced? I mean, we know some of the news items that we, you know everybody saw, but what was your sort of well? Personal? It was really, it was really interesting because there was a lot because I've seen that kind of stuff before. I mean, I rather I've seen a similar rally. I always use um, this rally from uh, January twelfth, two thousand two, in York, Pennsylvania, as a kind of a parallel to what we saw in Charlottesville. We saw that kind of clashing that was. Um, in the streets back then. And then there was also a few clashes that was going on around the country anyway. Mm-hmm. Up to and but the thing about York that was interesting that it also meant that there was a um, white supremacist driving into a crowd of people. That happened back then too. And also it was kind of like again, it was coming to a head. So what we saw when we got there, it was relatively quiet. Um again, this was the third rally that they had within maybe as many months. We already knew when when we got there, the Tiki Torch March already happened. We was driving down there as it was going on. We got calls from people saying that things um, that things were popping off already, and I w- and um, the governor had made it a state of emergency. Maybe not a state of emergency, but she had the um, National Guard on standby. So me and my crew were kind of like, "Oh wow, it's really going to be that intense." So we knew we had to get down to Charlotte, down into Charlottesville early the next morning. Um, we couldn't do anything about what was going on with the Tiki Torch March because we were just too far out. Um, but when we got there, it was still particularly quiet. Um, and there was, you know, kind of like a lull to calm before the storm, shall I say, mm-hmm. because no one was there yet. We um, I parked my car not too far away from where everything popped off, and it remained safe. I drove it here. So, still working. <laughs> still working. Still survived. Good, good. Um, oh, this is the phone from Charlottesville. <laughs> but 
The gun I carry in the trailer for some. Oh no, it's back home. Okay. Uh, no, yes, that's one thing. I did not play. I did not play because I saw because the militia groups were there, and just a couple of months before we saw the militia groups in Pikeville, Kentucky, for a um, a Nazi rally there, and my attitude from then on was if they're going to come armed, I'm going to come armed. I mean that's that's just how it goes. I can't be I can't be um, you know helpless when things like that pop off. So we get there and there's everything's quiet. There's a there's a rally going on with some of um, some of the clergy and some locals and a park nearby. And they um and they were just basically giving speeches and just talking about how the day is going to go and what have you. And um, then I, I, I walked around a little bit more and I, I went into Emancipation Park, which is what everybody used to call Lee Park. And, th- you know, got a look at the statue, saw a few guys there, interviewed one of the Proud Boys, um, or rather one of my people interviewed the Proud Boys. And uh, then the police asked us to come um, get out of that area. So I said, OK, cool. We just chilled out. Just outside, there was a little few chalkings. Everything was closed up. There were um, signs and pictures, signs saying that we are, um, it was either we're closed for the day um, and, so, and in support of love or something like that, or we're open for the day in support of love, depending on what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what the establishments were doing at the time. I chill out, and then I just started hearing blood and soil, blood and soil. I said, okay, it's on. They started marching down. Here's the interesting thing about Charlottesville, though. You start march, you start seeing um, all these um, white supremacists march, but there's black people, there's Hispanic people marching with them, too. No one really talking about the fact that some we wasn't really dealing with white supremacy so much as it was we were dealing with um, with uh, fascism, period. Yes, the Nazis were there, the Klan was there. But when you started seeing that... So there were people of all races that were representing that side representing of the Representing that side. They okay. all wanted to That's, play the game. I had no idea. They all wanted to play the game that they was there to defend the Confederate monument when the truth is the name of the thing was called Unite the Right, and that's exactly what they did. They united the right. So, you know, you had everybody from that hate side together. We're living in a generation where those lines are being blurred now. I mean, when I mentioned the Proud Boys earlier. Incidentally, one of the guys who was marching with that group Screaming Blood and Soil, which was partially the um, the group Vanguard America, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them um, that was marching with them was, is a dude who's now with um, a hate group called the Proud Boys. Right. And the Proud Boys are multiracial, and they try to get over with that, and it doesn't and it doesn't work because we're listening to them. We know exactly what they're about. We know exactly who they are. So, it does, like I said, it doesn't work for them. But this day, it was really obvious what they were about. So we weren't playing games. So we see these guys. So I see these guys marching. I videotaped them as they were going by me and everything. And anybody that I saw that just looked shady was just getting um, a video in their face, this camera in their face. And, it, and then soon... It was um, more people coming out to um, participate in the um, rally on their side. And then we showed up. Then there was a crew of us um, from various groups that showing up and just getting ready to say, hey, we are, we are here to just make y'all feel downright miserable. And 
you know, we we was all yelling and screaming. By this time, I would say it was nine o'clock. By around nine o'clock, everything was um, getting hot and heavy. Um, no one was really supposed to be doing anything on in the park until eleven o'clock. Now, the most important thing that happened with me was that I started noticing folks that I hadn't seen in years uh, on the white supremacist side. You had um, you had individuals that basically got out of the game, and now they were back in it. Hmm. It was just like a family reunion of sorts. I thought the fun, the funniest thing, and it was funny to me, but it was like, they, um, you see in the videos, um, you see people with their um, shields, like that. That came from Charlottesville. That um, the shield up in my um, office. Okay, I'll take a picture for the website. Yeah. They, um, y- you see people with their shields and stuff, and uh, I looked at one of the shields, and. I saw David Duke's autograph on one of them, and I was like, oh, is he here? And I recognize David Duke's autograph because I have one. So, okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I got it in a weird way. It's a long story. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's a weird story. But it was, like, so funny because I saw that, and I was like, how crazy is this rally? That was when I realized the rally was getting crazy because I, I, I recognized David Duke's autograph, so I knew he was in the area, and... Uh, I also recognized a guy named Michael Cook, who was the guy who organized the York Rally that I talked about from 2002. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, he was with a group called World Church of the Creator. This time, I think he was with Vanguard America. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, yeah, the band's back together. And, you know, it was a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, a little shoving here and there. And then it became a lot of shoving here and there. And all of a sudden, everybody just said, you know what, it's on. It's on. Everybody just started popping off, and it was just like, it was happening in the street. It wasn't so much happening in the, in the park itself, because we weren't allowed in the park. But that also meant that people who were inside the park were, were, not, were not a part of the melee. There was um, your better-known white supremacists stayed their behinds inside that Emancipation Park. So all the swinging happened um, on the street in front of the park and around the block and all of that. And then that's when um, I say um, I, I got into the middle of um, some of them. And then I got pepper sprayed. I got hit. Mm. I got hit. There was two ways I got. And I'd never been pepper sprayed until Charlottesville. I, I mean, 30 years of being out in the street, never got zapped until, until Charlottesville. And... One of the guys, um, it start, first time was a guy who was a Proud Boy and a militia dude and Hispanic. What he, um, I got hit by him because he started pepper spraying the, the air, just pepper spraying in the air. And I, and I got away from him and then whatever was in the air just got in my face and it was over. Mm-hmm. I, it took me like 20 minutes to recover from that. And, um, and once I got, and once I recovered from that, I got back in the mix and I was wrestling around with this dude from um, a, a group called League of the South, a tall dude from League of the South, older dude. And that's when somebody from TWP, Traditionalist Workers Party, hit me right in the face with another bit of pepper spray and it says, oh, oh I'm okay. It tastes pretty good, actually. And then all of a sudden, no. Uh, 
<laughs> and then I was gone. I was just like, okay, I can't see. I can't rub my eyes. I can't move. I'm a mess right now. I don't know what I'm going to do here. And then everybody started saying, yo, we, we got to get out of here. You got, can, we, we got to go. You got to get up go. I can't see, man. Wow. <laughs> and it was just like, in a minute, they pulled me away. What was going on at the time was the, the governor, um, Terry McAuliffe, had declared a state of emergency. And um, that meant that everything was shut down for the day. They shut it down. The um, police came rolling in and said, everybody get out. Now, bear in mind, the police weren't doing anything at the time. They just let us fight in the streets. Mm-hmm. When Terry McAuliffe made that state of, um, did the state of emergency, that was when... Uh, that was when you just started seeing the riot gears. Zoom! Everybody was out, and everybody was out of the park. And eventually, I recovered and was able to see all of this. Although every now and again, I, I would blink and some pepper spray would just, residual would just still mess me up. So I'd just keep that bottle of water on me. Plus, it was all over me, so I was just like a mess. I was basically soaked in in pepper spray, water, and Maalox because Maalox was used to um, flush everything out. Okay. So I was worn out. I was um I was trying to recover um f- from all of that and I went back to my car. Cuz I had a cooler in my car. Every my car was parked across the street from a church. And they had um they that, the church allowed us to just hang out there um so long as we didn't have any weapons. So some folks actually went onto the um church property some of us fell back and just stayed on the road. They were cool with that. And the fighting was over, really. Everybody was tired. Um, we saw neo-Nazis walking past us, and we just cussed them out as we went as they went along, and they cussed us out back. And um, <clears throat> I had bottles of water in a cooler, and I just started passing it out to everybody, plus whatever bananas and strawberries that we had. Um <clears throat> And we was um and, and we were done. We was all ready to go and we was just saying, Man, this this was just a crazy night, crazy day. And we was told that was when we was told that people were watching it on the news. Mm. That was when we found out yeah, everybody's watching, it's going on live. It says this is going on live. This is on CNN right now, really. And and that and that has never happened before with me. I've never gone to a Nazi rally that was being shown live as, you know, as a special news report, things are going down. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people were sitting there talking about uh, and, then, and then, of course, you started hearing all the rumors because, you know, Twitter is saying whatever. So you have to be careful with what people are saying. There's something, yeah, we heard that there was shooting and we were like, there was no shooting. Don't start spreading those rumors around. There was no shooting. Turns out there was. Mm. And I, and none of us knew it until the ACLU put out the um put out the video of a guy trying to shoot at somebody. Wow. So what do you think is the overall outcome of that experience? Like what would in terms of you being able to be there and and tell people what happened in your words? Did um do you just document for history that this has happened? Do you, do you, you change minds? Like what? Well, all of how that. How does that happen? Like all of that. that. You change minds and everything. I mean, bear in mind, the, um, what I was saying before, all of that was quiet. CNN's following it. MSNBC, Fox News, all of it's following. Yep. And then I saw the ambulance go by us. Mm. And we were like, um, okay, there must have been a really hardcore fight just now because everything was quiet everything was chill but we see ambulances going past us those are the ambulances getting hither higher yeah 
And that's Sad. when we knew that what we were doing just became the biggest deal for the next um for the next I would say even generation because we knew that uh people were gonna people were gonna talk about it. That's and we had to make sure that whatever it is they say about Charlottesville was gonna be from our perspective and not from the perspective of some right wing scumbags that get all the press right. or some pundits that wanna say both sides were wrong. No. We were not wrong in being out there. Mm-hmm. We were trying to make sure that a town that neo-Nazis were terrorizing did not get terrorized by neo-Nazis anymore. And it, if anything, it gave Antifa more of an opportunity to express that, to show that. It was kind of like when people talk about Selma to Montgomery in, um, in Martin Luther King's day, mm-hmm. it took them actually seeing what happened in Selma for people to realize just how bad things were down there. Mm-hmm. Selma changed the course of the civil rights movement. Charlottesville changed the course of the anti-fascist movement, to be honest. Um, it also changed the course of the white supremacy movement. All of a sudden, you started seeing a lot of the white supremacists that were there feeling the, uh, feeling the heat. Mm-hmm. Especially since Trump acted like an idiot and did the both sides thing. Right. Um, but it was kind of Very like, fine people. Very fine people on both sides. Um, <laughs> on many sides. Um, or whatever. Um, and my thing is, once once Charlottesville happened, if, if we want to talk about... Um, and it kind of it sounds a little shallow when I say this because it's really not my intent to um, <clears throat> make it sound like Charlottesville was this great PR thing. But the truth of the matter is Charlottesville opened up a lot of eyes mm-hmm. and we wanted to keep them open. And I think we did that to a large extent because the neo-fascists that we chase after are running scared, started running scared after that. When... A couple of weeks later, there was a um, a, a Nazi rally um, up in Boston. They won't call themselves Nazis. They'll call themselves, you know, um, nationalists or patriots or whatever, or anti-communists. Anything to um, get away from what everybody was seeing in Charlottesville. But people were wise to that stunt, and 40,000 people came out to oppose, what, 10, 11, 12 <laughs> now that crew was still running around. I mean, they're calling them. Um, they call themselves Refuse Fascism or something like that, and they still hold things like the Straight Pride rally that happened last year. But um, but again, we know them for who they are, and the reason why we know them for who we are, who they are, is because um, after Charlottesville, everybody had their eyes on them, mm-hmm. and you know the Nazis can't do it the way they used to. They're trying their damnedest to do something, but um, but it's hard for them now. Yeah, yeah. I know that in some media, Antifa gets a a weird reputation for being like violent or too extreme or something like that. Do you have like how do you have like a truth versus fiction about your movement to talk about what you really do? What I would say is that people have really got to stop listening to the right because they do this all the time and they'll make us look like the evil ones, just like um, they'll complain about Antifa just and call us terrorists and call us violent and call us 
um, all kinds of names, and everybody buys into it. Mm-hmm. But they've said the same thing about Black Lives Matter, and they said the same thing about Occupy. They said that about the anti-war um, scene just 20 years ago. You know, it's like, when are you going to stop going by what they say? Right. Especially since they're ignoring the fact that folks who consider themselves nationalists, folks who consider themselves the right, folks who have been on Fox News have are are now in jail for whatever murders that they have advocated for or, or actually committed themselves for the groups they've been a part of and so on. And my question is they um if they're not paying attention, if they're not saying speaking out against those groups, those domestic terrorists that come from the right, what kind of game do you think they're actually playing? I mean, if they're calling, if they are calling us terrorists, accept that as the same way you would, you would if you heard the Nazis from World War II calling the Marines devil dogs. You know, True. accept that as a badge of honor, and then just <laughs> keep pushing. You right, know, <laughs> right, right, fair. Um, just a couple more questions. So for the average person who maybe isn't out in the street or maybe they don't have that, whatever it takes. Like I I always say that, you know, people find the activism that speaks to them the most, you know, but even if you are an environmental activist, like there's still all these other things to work on or LGBT or anything. Mm -hmm. So what can your average person do to, 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 slow down that sort of march toward the right and that the sort of Nazi type attitudes well, that are out there. Well, it's not it's, it's, it's not a problem because, I mean, this is one of the reasons why it is important to let people know that the narrative about Antifa being a violent group or a terrorist group or whatever is dangerous because they're really just saying that anti-fascism is wrong and a lot of people pretty much most of this country is anti-fascist. Mm-hmm. We're all we're almost all anti-fa. I mean, ba- I mean, even for what it's worth, this country was based on fighting things that fascism supports. Right. I mean, even though they, like I said, there's a few um, issues with that over the past two hundred years, but it was still rooted in that in that premise that we are all created equal. So. In in that regard, there are we take from history the lessons f- for today, and you go by that. You don't have to go out in the streets to um to fight this nonsense. You can go out and run for office. You can go out and vote. You can create programs that will address the uh, situation um, in some fashion. Um, you can do what One People's Project does. Hell, you can even work with One People's Project and do the research and do the reporting. You got to basically, I think one of the first and foremost things you got to do is just make sure, A, you know your stuff, know who's out there causing all um, the grief, and then start letting your community know, letting your um, neighbors know, and um, be proactive against it. I mean, what we always say is that we put this information out there so people can use it and diminish that right-wing element's ability to function. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we that's what we have to do. Um, now, we are One People's Project has been pretty aggressive. I mean, people look at my organization as being the um, the ones who basically started doxing for this kind of thing. Mm. We never called the doxing; we just looked at it as reporting. 
And I think the reason why we did it is because we saw the right using that tactic um, themselves. We didn't even look at it as even a tactic. It was just, look, you got to know who these people are. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bare bones of all of it. So you don't have to be in the streets. You can go out there and work with your neighbors to make sure that those elements cannot function in your community. And there's so much more that you can probably do not being in the streets sometimes. Sometimes. I really I really would like to see people be out there in the streets. But, mm-hmm. you know, but, but if you can't do that, you have your resources. And those in the streets can actually help you out and point you in the direction. And all we want people to do is just be aware and be active against it. And, uh, and, and we'll beat this back again and again and again because we're a society that likes to evolve. We like to go beyond what we already know. And it is what has kept us alive for all these years. And it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much. And any parting thoughts, or that's that's the thing. It's going to get better. It's We're going to get. Going it's going to get better. We're going to be all right, regardless of what happens in the future. Sadly, it's getting a little dicier and dicier and dicier, but we will be okay. And when all is said and done, you're going to be very happy about how Antifa had taken the reins and how. You part, and if you're one of the participants, and how you taking the reins of all of this, so just keep on pressing because, uh, like I said, we're gonna be all right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Joe. All right, you're welcome. Take care. Wendy here, letting you know that I'm making masks to assist you in your social distancing while you're outside. I'm using my weird and wacky quilting fabric that I've been hoarding for years so you can let your geek flag fly while protecting yourself and your community while you shop for essentials or walk your dog. Check out my Facebook page, Wendy Cards, for current availability. Proceeds from mask sales help support donations of masks to hospitals and first responders. That's facebook.com slash wendycards, W-E-N-D-Y-C-A-R-D-S. And thank you. Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrenee.com, and my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out. And you can like me at facebook.com slash robinreneefan, tweet at me at spiritrocksexy, and follow me on Instagram at robinreneemusic. I would love to hear from you. So it's April and we are still requested to keep isolating ourselves because there is a disease rampaging throughout the planet. And for me, this is now 
I guess the start of month three of <clears throat> my social distancing. And, and it, it, it's also because I'm not really one of these people that goes out and socializes a lot anyway. And I work at home. So I don't have a lot of social contact anyway, but the fact that everybody is doing this now, it seems to be changing the landscape. And for me, it was, it was uh, really brought home to me emotionally yesterday when I attended a group Ostara ritual that was put on by uh, some former coven mates of of ours, actually, of all three of us. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and it was like a lot of people I hadn't actually seen in years and uh, a whole bunch of old bandmates that I hadn't kept in touch with. And it was all very, it was very like emotional for me because it's like, I knew everybody on the call and I hadn't seen every, any, any of these people in a really long time. And it was like, yeah, the ritual was going on and I enjoyed that, but I really would have just rather had this, this whole big social thing because I wanted to just catch up with everybody because <laughs> I hadn't seen them in so long. Yeah. I was on that, that as well. And it, it would have been nice to have like the feasting time, which yeah. we normally have in, in real time and spend yeah. time just sort of relaxing and talking it's a little different, obviously in that format, but, but it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. So, but they were doing it over Zoom, right? Right. So there was limited time. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think we it was like an hour and a half. So I think somebody oh. had a real account because we didn't oh, we didn't okay. take that off. Although, although oh, somebody, it felt like it was a while, didn't it? I didn't. Yeah, it was definitely over an hour. Yeah. And then you know you weren't on for the there was like the setup stuff like ahead of time too. So I think somebody on the call had an account or, or they bought an account for that purpose. And I, and I'm guessing they're going to be doing that again for Beltane or whatever. <laughs> so um, I'll be attending a uh, zoom Seder. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I got invited different. to that, but I'm not feeling a Seder this year. I all because it's I guess because of the Seders I used to go to at you know for my family, they would go on and on and on for hours and hours and hours, and that's kind of where I my head is. It's like this is this whole long, boring thing that I don't yeah. want to do. So the one that this is funny because this is my favorite. I think it is my favorite ritual of the year. Really? Our friends, uh, Seder, yeah. And it's very alternative and very personal. It just feels, it, it, it has a lot of meaning for me. And it's really oh, cool. cool. It's definitely not the, as wrote from the ages, same old <laughs> thing that everyone aunt, does. It's not the Seder at my aunt's house. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I was really, I was really sad when it was canceled, but I was, it, it was obvious it was going to be canceled, you know? And then when it came back as an online thing, I was like, oh, you know, it's uh. I'm I'm adapting to these things happening in virtual space too. I I host a polyamory meetup that we had on Zoom actually last last week, mm. and it was good. It was a really good conversation. Um, you know, it's not it's not a bar hangout, which it normally <laughs> is, and you know, so it was a different that that particular meetup is very social and not meant to have that much deep conversation because I mean you can, but it's a punk bar, you know. So it was nice. 
It was different That's to cool. be able to sit and really get into some thoughts with people, you know. It's just interesting how, and, and my daughter has noticed this, she's been socializing with her friends back here because she's in California and, you know, she grew up in New Jersey and she's been interacting with her friends more now that everybody's home than before. Because yeah, I, yeah. It's just easy to add her in to the calls, you know, that they do. So, so she's spending a lot more time with her friends. Although I do think she's kind of getting a little stir crazy because she's only got two rooms and a porch. Mm. And well, I think well, she could go out. She just has to stay away from people. Yeah. I well, okay. There's there's this stuff about, and I read, and I think it, I'm trying to remember if it was an Atlantic article or if this was just some long article written by a doctor or an epidemiologist i'm you know i i've been reading doing lots and lots of reading i keep using up my atlantic free articles very fast and they were saying that you can completely wipe out all of the good that you that the community has done with social distancing by getting together with somebody Oh, I'm just, not saying get together. I'm no, just saying know, going outside if she's getting no, cabin I fever. I have another point I'm trying to make. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's like they're saying if you, you know, um, if you just talk very briefly or, or for you have like coffee with somebody that you think is safe and then you have now, you know, right now in your, you know, your personal space or your house, you have you have to consider that group of people as one unit and any contact that any of those people have with anyone else outside of that unit then brings all of the potential contact disease contact vectors so it's, that it's other like, person it's like it's AIDS. like your AIDS and STD yeah. that you've slept with everybody that that other yes. person has slept with yes and and it's it and it can undo all of the work that we've been doing to stay away from everybody very you know just with one meeting because that person's kids friends mother is sick or so, who knows you know but it, there there could be an, an a, a, a transmission avenue that you don't even think about from somebody that doesn't live with you you know it's just it's been it's been an adjustment for even for me and i've been you know that's the other thing i've been sewing masks for what feels like a month, but it was probably only a little over a week. And I got really driven and I think I kind of overdid it because today I'm just wiped out. So I have to remember, you know, you keep thinking you're doing self-care, but you're really not. And, and it could be this activity that I, I feel compelled to do is because, you know, you feel helpless in these yeah. situations. And it's like, oh, this is something I can do that's that could make a difference. So then I'm just getting into like, you know, and they're and and they're trying to, you know, they're they're saying, oh, this is like a war that we have to fight. So it's like, okay, I've planted my victory garden, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> and now and now I'm I'm taking now all you're of rolling the, bandages. And now I'm rolling bandages. Yeah, it's it's like I need to just not necessarily, you know. Can, and then I see my friends, other friends are like making these really cool hats. Mm-hmm. You know, they're doing these art projects. I have I have friends that are like like teaching themselves watercolor and they're doing all these gorgeous things. And I'm like, why am I not doing this? I, <laughs> so I should be doing it. Well, so do some, you know, do some art. But I mean, it's awesome that you can, you have a skill that 
can make something practical that really helps right now. Yeah. I think it's wonderful. I also, I think I need, I think I need to I'll give myself permission. Like I said today, I said, I'm taking a day off, you know, from doing this sewing, but you know, I'm here and now I'm going to be doing, and I'm playing, I got my engine, my audio engineer hat on. Mm-hmm. So I'll be doing that. <laughs> it's like maybe Wednesday I'll have a day off. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Mary? Oh, I'm, I'm strangely calm. I don't know. I'm, I, two weeks ago, I started doing this and I don't know. I, I'm kind of introverted person. I like being by myself uh, with my cats and inside. And this seems like life as usual for me. And I feel a bit guilty that it's not bothering me as much as it's bothering everybody else. So what? another thing that I'm thinking about, though, too, that I dwell upon is this is something of a challenge that seems interesting. Like I'm in the middle of a sci-fi movie of how, how the world is going to change and how are we going to adapt to it. And I actually was having dreams last night where I was on Zoom conferences and they turned into teleporting and I was teleporting to see people in North Carolina and hugging people and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, that was a strange dream that I specifically dreamt about hugging people. So I must be missing it. Well, yeah, that's what the, that's what your cats are for. Yeah. So it's not the same. I know, yeah. but mm. yeah, the, the, the lack of, yeah, it, it's, I can, I can see us adopting a lot more of, you know, the other, what I saw an article the other day, but about when, you know, the whole bowing thing in Asian, like Japanese and Chinese culture Mm -hmm. and about how that's could be a new way of greeting people now because it doesn't involve touching anything (laughs) so Mm -hmm. because this because this isn't this isn't a one and done kind of illness you know Um, what do you mean well it's not it it's not it's going to be the at least from what i read it's going to be around probably for the rest of time. At some point, I think it will be less deadly. At some point, we will we will have a herd immunity. I mean, that's that's one of the things I've been hearing is that once you recover from it, they believe that you're not going to get it again. Do you think that they come up with a vaccine? Uh, yeah, but that'll take 18 months. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want a vaccine before it's been tested for side effects? Mm. You know, it takes time, you know, because they're not going to know if there's a side effect like within a day. They that takes that takes time to show up, you know, so they the fastest they can. I the fastest release that I've been reading about is like a year to 18 months for a vaccine. So we're going to be living with this for a while. And I and and I had read this was a conjecture by a science fiction writer that I'm following. And he was saying that that you know soon enough we are all going to know people that have lost somebody to this disease or you know or that we will have you know will be at least one zero or one thing removed from somebody that's died from this and it's going to touch everybody you know i mean it's not just grandma i mean there's a there was a video call that's been floating around the internet that i had been sharing everywhere because he was a very calming it was a very calming 
he was a doctor. He's a pulmonologist at uh, the Cornell Hospital in Manhattan. I think it's like Wheel or Weir Hospital, Weir Cornell or something, something. But I guess it's part of Cornell University, but the hospital's in Manhattan. He's in the, the pulmonology ICU. That's his gig. He's His whole ward is full of COVID-19 patients now. And, and he was doing this Zoom call with his family and friends for how to deal with this. His, well, his main takeaway is wash your hands and don't touch your face. And that's what the mask wearing outside is to train you to not touch your face. Mm-hmm. Because, I watched all of that, Dr. David Price. and Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Really yeah. helpful, you know. And, and, and really, I think the thing that I liked about it was that he, he said it's, you know, it's out there. It's really frightening. But these are the very practical things to get into your head as to not contract this thing. You right. Know what I mean, and it was, it was like okay, like I have actual action items that you yes. have a really plan. Do. You have a plan. Yes. Yeah. And he also says, you know, every time you touch something, you drop a bit of Purell on your hands and and sanitize. That's yeah. what you know. He talked about that too. He also said that. You know, it's not just people over 60 that he that are in in the hospital uh, on ventilators. It's not just them. It's like any he said any he hasn't seen anybody under 14 years old. And I think his youngest patient or any young the youngest patient he's heard of was 17. But anybody from 17 older can end up, you know, in the hospital. It's not that doesn't mean you're dying, but it just means that you're going to need help to get through the the virus to, so your body can can you know resist it to build up the antibodies and get rid of it ages. right and what he was you know and so the hand washing and the and limiting the contact is really 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 important and he also said it's like the time to go to the er is when you're out of breath like going to walk, you know, get like from getting up and walking to the bathroom. If you're out of breath doing that, it's time to go to the ER. And uh, and up until that point, it's not really time to go. So those little facts were very, very calming. I hope we put a link to that video. If you know the, the five people that haven't seen it yet. For, yeah, <laughs> for them, because it's, it's very, it's comforting to hear real information from somebody who's on the front lines. You know, as opposed to, as opposed yeah. to the COVID in chief, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're going to riff on that for days. Hey, <laughs> hey, listen though, I want to talk about the COVID in chief for a second. Okay. I, I know you don't want to talk about. <laughs> I like to pretend he doesn't I'm, exist. I, I'm having an action plan now. I'm I'm okay. coming up with an action plan because you know how how he's got all these experts who say one thing and then he gets on the microphone and says something stupid. That's the opposite. Right. Well, and they can't get him to stop doing that. I I have a plan. They can turn his mic off and they can, they can also have pre-recorded and, you know, an imitator saying the right thing and play that. (laughs) Then then everybody would get the right stuff. (laughs) That's a good plan. They should give him a monitor so he hears himself, but no one else hears. Yes, him. yes, that's good too. Yeah, <laughs> wearing headphones or something. God, I wish. I, I wonder. I wonder if he DVRs his news conferences and then watches them later. I I bet he doesn't. Well, I know he was talking about his ratings. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> 
Because that's just too practical to to record and listen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was all I had to say about that. You can go on to something <laughs> more more positive, but well, I wanted to just talk about how I'm feeling, and it's very it's a complicated place I'm in right now. Yeah, how's you that? know? Because like you, I'm uh, Mary. I'm I'm definitely an introvert as well. And I enjoy a lot of alone time, but I don't, but I also am very much engaged in in community and creating community, some of which is far away anyway. So I think the idea, so that's a challenge for me. And I think the idea that not only are, are people who I really love far from me, but that I don't have any idea of a date when it's po- it's going to be possible for us to be together again and what that looks like, you know? So it's... It's tough. It's it's a really uh, painful kind of a place to be. So my day to day is pretty much normal, but that aspect is is just really frightening, I guess, in a lot of ways. And it's compounded by a couple of things. One is that I am also living with very new to me people, and we can do social distancing very easily in the space where I am. But it's also a little bit unnerving because I don't. I don't trust them with my life, you know what I mean? Like I can't. I don't I don't I just getting to know them. So so I don't know. Like you were talking about Wendy about people's Oh yeah. outside contacts and you know, I don't know what You don't know how big their circle is and how much right. germs <laughs> how much how much potential infection they are exposing themselves to. Are right. they staying they home or are they going to work? They're home, but they're not home hundred percent of the time, you know? So, I mean, they could be going mm. to a store for something or I, I, I don't know. How can I know for sure? I don't, mm. you know, I know that our practices in the house are very meticulous in terms well, of that's cleaning good. and, and disinfecting and maybe even like a little bit ad, ad nauseum, you know? But, <laughs> so, I feel okay, but I feel worried at the same time. I can't, it's a, it's a feeling I can't even really describe, you know. It's, well, you can't, you're not relaxed yet. You need to be able to get to trust them and you're not yeah. there yet. You right. need more data. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that despite the fact that COVID is like the big news item right now, everything else is still going on. And I got news yesterday that a, a dear cousin of mine is in hospice now with mm. cancer. And that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's, you know, we knew she was not well for a, a, a while and all that. And so it's not a shock, but it is, you know, it's yeah, just especially weird. Especially when you can't, you can't go and see her. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and similar with a, a another really good friend, dad, who's in his last days too. You know, mm. and, and in, in any other world, I would have been down there immediately helping her care for him and everything. You know, so it's just a weird time, and it's hard. You know, when you know all the news is about one thing, but like all the other health issues and life stuff and everything else, it's still going on. It's just, and also just, some things that are not going on that should be going on too. Like yeah. I was going to have a memorial for my husband. Right. We, we haven't had anything yet and it was ju- it was very difficult for me in the winter right after it happened for me to organize anything and I, I always said March or April we'll do something. Now yeah. we can't gather. 
do anything. Yeah. Right. One event that was going to be this coming weekend uh, that I was really looking forward to has been canceled completely and it's maybe next year. And the, the thing in May and in town that I was going to go do, it has been moved to October mm. already. So, and October, you know, that might not be a bad time for a memorial because it's near Samhain. So mm. I don't and know. That, that'll be like a year since he died because he died right before Samhain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that might be what's going to happen. Hmm. Unless you want to do a, a big Zoom memorial, which <laughs> wouldn't probably probably wouldn't have the same impact. Yeah, yeah. No. We did that. We did something for my friend Glenn Walker on his birthday. I think it was the birthday after he had passed away. There was a big like Google Hangout with his wife and a lot of friends, and we just kind of really celebrated him. And it was, oh. uh, yeah. That's that's a nice idea. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would, as a main memorial, that's what you want, but it is a way to, it is a way to. Alan's birthday is in October. Hmm. That's right. Hmm. Yeah. And I want to just, somebody set up a science, a group on Facebook, and I think it's called CancelCon or something like that, very close to that. It was somebody set it up because of all of the science fiction conventions that got canceled. And there are now over 20,000 people in that group. And I have connected with all of my convention friends that I haven't seen in years and years. And every freaking single of my favorite writers that are still alive are posting in there. It's honestly, it's like the best convention remotely that's happening. And, and it's, it's, I check in there every once in a while. It's hard to keep track of. I mean, it's a very busy group. It's the it's sort of taken the place of all of the conventions that got canceled. And I think that group is going to be around for a while. So that's happening too. I mean, we are we are as a species being clever about how how we maintain our our social contacts and and our the things that we love to do. You know uh, how we adapt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just it's gonna be there's there's the world has changed. It yeah. has. And we we have to, you know, I have this this thing on my wall. I'm looking at it right now and it says if you're going through hell, keep going. Because mm. you're going mm-hmm. through hell. Yeah, it's the only way to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. stop, you're just stuck there. That's good. That's a good thought. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is something about me that I have to have that on my pasted onto my wall that I see it every day at my desk. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a person I can get stuck, you know, I can really get stuck in a thought or uh, just feeling like something's endless or hopeless. And, and it's a good, that's actually a very good way to remember, put it yeah. right in front of your face. You know? <laughs> yeah. Robin, what were you going to say before? Oh, not relevant. Thanks. Oh, okay. <laughs> you, I just saw a smirk on your face and it made me curious. <laughs> oh, it was a, I, I, I heard tell of a, uh, an online play party. Oh. So I was very, I, I didn't attend it. I don't know, but it sounds like, uh, it sounds like it might be a way for people to connect in ways that, you know, if they are not able to connect physically right now, so. Hmm. It'd be could be fun. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it uh, shows adaptability. <laughs> exactly. 
But I'm enjoying so, my yard. That's, that's one good. Thing you have a nice yard. Yeah, there's a lot to do out there, so maybe I'll get even <laughs> more done in it than I normally would because I'd usually be running to the gym or doing something farther yeah. afield. So. I'd like to know uh, what our listeners are doing to maintain their sanity during the times of COVID-19. isolation or or not their COVID idiocy. I don't. I'm hoping none of our listeners are COVID idiots. So <laughs> no, but dealing with it is can be. Oh, stressful. dealing with it, yes, dealing with it, and and how they're how they're dealing with uh, being stuck at home all the time. I'd be interested to see to hear what you guys are doing too. Yeah. Let's be in touch. 